Uh, it includes some of the material that we've heard today from Kale, uh, but so many other things, of course. He couldn't fit it all in two presentations. Um, but to help us talk about it this afternoon, we have some good people to join us. On the far end, we have Dr. Bruce Manners, retired pastor, sometimes writer, um, former editor, and I believe a former pastor of this church. Very cool. Back in the day, uh, we've had a little bit of memory lane this morning. Um, Kale, you've already met. Jodie Eddy is um, associate pastor of Warburton Church, so she's my associate pastor. <laughs> uh, so I um, dragged her into this as a result of a conversation we had after church one day. And um, thank you for coming and joining us. Uh, have you ever, were you ever a student of Kale's, or were you there before Kale's time? Yeah, I was a student. Okay, so you don't have to be scared of him in that kind of way, do no. you? <laughs> No, no history there. So <laughs> that's good. You don't, and you're not getting back from some grade that he gave you on an assignment when you really deserve better. And <laughs> <laughs> hey, I always did well. I'll have you know. <laughs> Fair enough. That's good. Uh, Chris Stanley is the um, pastor of this here church, and um, so Chris, thank you for hosting us and having us take over your church for today. But also thank you for coming and lending a little of your wisdom this afternoon. And on the end here we have Christine Miles, who is the, well, a published author in her own right, and someone that has been a writer for a number of years for the church, and, and for other things, um, but also is here with us as the manager of the Adventist Book Centre in North New Zealand, based in Auckland. So we needed a different accent, and we've had the South African all day, we need some New Zealand accent to help us out. And Christina who lost her voice earlier because she was yelling too much at lunchtime. Um, so she, she's claiming she's going to sit in the corner, but we're not going to let her do that. So the first thing I've, I've asked these people to reflect on is simply what caught your attention? What did, made you think differently? What impressed you about what Kyle, Kale has shared? Uh, and you know, whether it's something from the book or something from what he's talked about today, and Chris, you're the home team, so you're going to kick us off. Um, I guess uh, probably most directly what I appreciate about uh, Kyle's work was the way in which he, he endeavoured to give us uh, the background assumptions and, and just the content of the information that the author of the book of Revelation had in his head when he wrote. Um, anybody who's a writer will know that as they uh, do the process of writing or communicating, you operate with a lot of background knowledge and assumptions in your head. And uh, as you communicate, you need to be careful as a, as a communicator to make sure that you uh, don't assume that your audience has the same knowledge as you do. And uh, I believe John has communicated very well in his revelation, but I believe the way in which uh, Kyle DeVal has emphasised uh, the way in which the Old Testament uh, formed, just the, the background content, the assumptions that were probably present in John's life has given us a good insight into the, uh, the work that John has created and it's given us a good understanding of John as an author and it's given us a good way to understand uh, much of his writing uh, that is in that book and it's been a helpful way to kind of push us back into the Old Testament to make sure we have a, yeah, a, a good, just a good character assessment of, of who John was as he wrote. Uh, I've appreciated that emphasis in the book. Yeah. Well, the first thing that I noticed was the size, because most books on Revelation um, are substantially thicker, so I was like, oh, this is going to be interesting to see where you go. Now, Kyle, you can tell me whether I'm wrong in my thinking, but I felt like there was almost two sections to the book, in that the first half was, to me, a bit more like a, a how-to guide, like if, if you're going to study Revelation, these are some guiding principles, this is some information, this is you know, not giving you all the information, you know, listed out, but, um, yeah, guiding and how you could find out more information and then went into more detail in the second half of the book. And I liked that approach. I liked that it wasn't all about a detail of every single thing that you could possibly go and think and consider in Revelation, but it was about tools and ideas and... Yeah, it led me to wonder what was your hope when you were writing the book? Like, how did you hope... Is it OK if I ask a question yeah, now? go for it. How, how did you want people to use the book? 
Yeah, because that's what I was thinking. Because at first I was like, oh, okay, this is where we're going. And then we went a different... Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know about others, but normally when I go to the ABC or Kurong, I, I normally buy a book that I can really sink my teeth into and kind of open it up in conjunction with God's Word and kind of study and, and reflect. And, and so I was really hoping that that could be my book, you know, that you actually take the book and you actually open up your Bible as well and, and kind of study, you know, and get into it and, and gain... Uh, importantly, the framework and the principles within which to understand Revelation. Yeah. Yeah. So, did you think that there was sort of like two sections? Like, oh yes. Yeah, I that's agree. how you wanted it yes, to. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. 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 I thought that's a, a point of difference from other um, books on Revelation. Yeah. And I thought, I, I, you know, when I'm going through it, that's I'm thinking, oh, I need to get my Bible out. I'm wanted to start taking notes and go off in different tangents and directions and start dreaming of sermons and then pulling myself back to just read more, consider. But, yeah, so that's my first Yeah, that's an interesting in. comment. Um, I mean, you look at some of the other books, like, you know, you, you mentioned Stefanovic's, is that the right word? Yeah. Yep. Um, his book, which, you know, is verse by verse. And a lot of the, a lot of the people that write want to write a significant book on Revelation, think that that's what they need to do. I actually think that it's the strength of this book that we don't have to go through it all to get the point. Um, and rather we're getting the tools that we can then go back and read the thing. Yeah. So. But on the other hand, that's something that I've actually received some criticism of the book about. You know, one of the criticisms I had was, you know, there's only three of the seven churches that are dealt with in detail. Uh, but we talked about that in the process. And, yeah. Christine, what caught your attention in having a read? The cover. I love the cover. <laughs> cool. I loved the cover and the people who came into the shop, I sold it to them based on the cover. <laughs> and then when you told me I had to read it, <laughs> I went and asked my pastor, had he read it and could he just give me a summary? Ah, and then cheating. He, yes. Ah. And then could he give me a cool question to ask you? And he wouldn't. <laughs> so I had to read it and I have. <laughs> and there's lots of really good stuff in there. And... I know I sound stupid, but I'm not as stupid as I was before I read the book. <laughs> cool. That's, that's actually not a bad... Um, we, we'll, the second edition, we'll put that on the back cover. <laughs> you were commenting to me yesterday when we were talking about this that um, you, some of the big words, the big theologian words that Kale likes to throw around because it makes him look clever... Um, that you actually started to learn some of those words as you got through it. Oh, you know what, when you first start reading it, because I didn't understand those words and because there were all these biblical references all throughout the sentences, I was trying to read it and translate the word in my head and then these Bible verses bumped in and it was so, so hard. So you said it was in two pieces, I needed it in three. <laughs> <laughs> But I did learn the words, and by the end, I think about five pages near the end, it had a sentence with eschatology in it, and I didn't have to translate it in my head, I knew it. <laughs> cool. That's, um, that's good. Um, Bruce. Yeah, I, I had two things come to mind as I was thinking about that. Um, number one is, you get to meet Kyle, the pastor, in this book. It's not just about revelation, it's actually about uh, a pastor trying to explain a very difficult book, if you like. Um, and, and we've got to remember that John, who wrote it, was a pastor. You know, he wasn't just someone who said, I'll write this difficult book so that no one will ever understand it. He was a pastor trying to get a message across. And I, I think Carl has done us a real service in the first two chapters, um, because these are kind of introductory um, first one's called Ground Rules for Memory, and Genre. Um, we have to understand how do we really approach the book of Revelation to understand the book of Revelation. And secondly, it is a certain form of um, writing and, and understanding that it's, it's not poetry, it's, it's actually apocalyptic writing, which, which is pretty important. 
as, as you approach it. So I, I think it's well done. And uh, let me say again, I haven't been here today to hear Carl. I have a good excuse. <laughs> but um, I have heard Carl preach and I hear him in the, in the book. He does have a heart for people. Hmm. That's cool. So on the basis of some of these comments, Kale, why did you write this book other than your, you know, you have a professional interest in, well, uh, you mentioned this morning even that from a 12-year-old you studied Revelation, so you've always been a bit of a nerd in that way. Um, but you've... <laughs> and, and now you're a grown-up nerd, so with doctor in front of your name for being a nerd, so it's certified. Um, why write this book? What was, what was your hope for this book as far as a contribution to the church? So, are you my friend? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean it so lovingly, yeah. <laughs> okay, you've said it lovingly. It's yeah. all right, he's a nerd too, so it's okay. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, no, hey, and by the way, it's just, um, I used to do the voice of prophecy lessons as a kid growing up, you know, and, and, and that's when I, you, do, you get to Revelation 20 and you do the millennium, and so that, that was, that's what that was about. Uh, part of the motivation was um, to also provide a textbook for my students. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really wanted to provide some of my thinking and my ideas. And so uh, last year was the first time I actually used it in my class. And uh, we had weekly discussions, group discussions based on the text. And uh, I got some really good positive feedback from the students, which I, which I was grateful for. And it kind of uh, sets out in broad strokes some of the key ideas I have about the book, which I would like to pass on to hopefully the next generation of pastors. Um, I try to uh, model how to, how to teach the book, how to preach the book in my class. I, I may get carried away now and then. But I, I remind the students that I'm trying to model for them how they can get into the pulpit and actually preach revelation, teach revelation, so that it can impact for, for life transformation, most importantly, and that the gospel, which is the heart and center of revelation, can come alive. Uh, I think as a people, we've, you know, we've been event-oriented and date-focused as a people, and my passion is that we be gospel-focused you know, more than anything else, that Jesus truly be at the center. He is, he is of the book of Revelation, and I'm, I'm hoping and praying that the next generation of pastors, I'm humbled and privileged to teach them, can actually take Jesus right back to the very heart and center of their communicating this, uh, this awesome book. Hmm. Cool. We have three pastors other than Kale, you know, as part of our panel today. Um, question just for any of you to jump on. So, in the context of preaching and sharing the book of Revelation in a local church, in, you know, in the lives of people, how does Revelation matter in your experience of ministry or how has it been a good thing, a positive thing, uh, when you've preached it, when you've used it, when you've taught it to people, how's it made a difference in people's lives? Bruce, you've been doing it the longest. You can start. Yeah. Look, I, I find... Let me talk about individuals. I find individuals, when they discover Revelation, they want to know the stuff, the, the, the beast, what's that all about, the seals and, and so on. This is, this is really where they get caught up. And, you know, please explain to me what this is about. And unfortunately... With that kind of approach, they tend to not see the big picture. And, and to try to get them from there, and you know, we, we, we have good explanations about all those kind of things, but if the focus remains there, they've lost the message of Revelation. I think as Carl just said, Jesus is the center of Revelation. And uh, we and they, and, and it's great to see people suddenly get that. Not everybody gets it, but suddenly see people get the fact that, you know, Jesus is at the beginning. He's at the end promising to come back to fix things up. Uh, you, you go through one to three is important. Jesus talking to the churches. Um, where do you go? You probably can jump to 12. There is the centre of the, the, the conflict, the controversy. Uh, uh, 14, we're there enduring for him and so on. And then 19, he's coming back. 21. It's all, it's all about Jesus. The people are worshipping God 
and Jesus is worthy as the Lamb. And it is very difficult for some people to transition from the curious curiosity, you know, now that I've got this right, I will understand and I can look for the signs and make sure I'm ready because I've seen the Pope sneeze or something, um, to the fact that we really don't know exactly how it's going to happen, but Jesus is in control and he's there with us. And I think when, at least for me, when I see a person go from curiosity to seeing Jesus in Revelation, they've got something pretty important and something that will hold them because some of our interpretations we have been wrong in. And what do you do if you've built your life around that? Where, where do you go with it? Because obviously it's wrong and the whole book's wrong and <laughs> yeah. Yep. Did that get anywhere near you where you wanted? Well, you answer the question how you <laughs> want to answer the question. I'm not telling you how to answer the question. Uh, I'm just prompting you to give us your thoughts. Okay. <laughs> Got it. That's good. Um, Jody. Yeah, well, I think with Revelation, where you want people to go is to see God's plan fulfilled. And, you know, that's the beauty of Revelation to me is that there's the end of sin. There's being reunited with God. There's that end of separation. And just this past week, I took worship in our aged care facility in Warburton and I read um, Revelation 21 and then we spent some time talking about what it meant, what it meant for them, um, what that means for their future. And, you know, when you're nearing the end of your life, you know, you, you look at things differently. Well, this is how I see them looking at things differently and talking about it. And it was so encouraging for us to spend time just going through that and talking about an end of sin and an end of the pain and an end of being old, basically. <laughs> and I think, you know, like, there's beauty that they can look forward to that, you know. They can start to feel like they don't have a future, but the reality is is that they do still have a future and they still have a purpose, no matter what their situation is. And revelation gives them that. And, and being old's not too bad. <laughs> no, there's a lot of benefits. Um, I'm finding out too as I'm getting older. But, um, yeah, I, no, I just think that you, you see things differently than when, you, when you're 12 and you're starting to, to get into it. You, you grow in maturity and wisdom, but that also means that you, yeah, you, you, see, yeah, you just see things differently. You got out of that pretty well. <laughs> Chris, anything to add? Um, I, I like the way in which uh, John has written in the Bible. It provides a very nice course for taking people just in terms of studies. Um, so usually I begin, if, if come, somebody comes to me, I begin with the Gospel of John and I look at what Jesus has done. And uh, the Gospel of John looks much about the, uh, the foundations for belief and it looks about the uh, historical Jesus. And then the letters of John, 1 John, 2 John and 3 John, look at the very kind of personal application of living Jesus in your life now and so you have the ability to take people from the experience of what Jesus has done and begin to look at the way in which John speaks about the way in which Jesus should be lived in your life and then if you continue through John's writings you encounter the future of what Christ can and will do and so it provides just a nice uh, historical sweep through, uh, through, through what has been done, through what it can be in your life and to what we anticipate Christ will do. Uh, it's just a good way to bring people into a, a, a broad experience of faith. I, I appreciate the, the way in which John the writer has done that and the revelation finishes that off nicely. That's an interesting perspective. Of course, on the subject of old and the story of John and his experience, one of my favourite traditional stories about John is that after he was on Patmos and wrote the book of Revelation, he actually was released and went to live in Ephesus where he raised pigeons as a hobby. It's kind of a weird thing after you, um, you know, in retirement he was a pigeon fancier. It's a fascinating little insight. Um, and um, it's kind of weird to think that you've written Revelation and then you still have hobbies. That's kind of cool. And the, the world still matters and perhaps because of Revelation, the world does matter. Um, Christine, you said that um, you have been selling the book by its cover. Now that you've read the book, somebody comes in asking for a book on Revelation, why will you recommend this one to them? 
it's actually really hard because lots of people that bought it before I read it, I'm not sure if they were actually up for reading it. <laughs> I would really like to talk to them all again and see how they got on going through it. Um, throughout the year in the ABC we've had Bible studies. It's just one of the side things that we do and we've been studying the great controversy the whole way through. So to me this book built on it. So if I had somebody coming in who wanted to read this book, I would recommend that they also got the Great Controversy Study Guide and kind of did it, not together, but as part of a bundle. Okay. And then they'd get a good big picture. Mm -hmm. Cool. So you're upselling. Not just selling one book, you're selling two books. You've got to watch no. these ABC shop people, no, don't you? you see, <laughs> no, because I'm not a... Um, <laughs> You're not a used car salesman? I'm not officially a retailer, okay? This is just like, I just go to work and sell things. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the whole point of it is that the great controversy, even though it deals with really heavy subjects and can be quite fearsome, actually the love of God is the whole way through it. It is so, so, so the whole way through it. And once you kind of get past that hurdle of these terrible things are going to happen and I don't know what revelation actually means, then nothing's actually that scary. So this is just kind of helping it grow. Cool. You keep making it sound like this is a hard book. But I'm just not a pastor. <laughs> I'm not sure it's just for pastors. <laughs> Indeed. Um, so let me ask you that question. And Kale, I might start with you and then some others can join in. If Revelation is so important, why is it so complex? Like, if you need a PhD in biblical studies and ancient languages and all of those things to do the things that we've seen you do with it today, yeah, that's not something that many of us are ever going to feel like we can do. Um, if it's so obscure, if it's so whatever, is it really that important to the Bible? Um, a lot of other churches tend to just sidestep it as too hard. Um, we have our challenges in, even you've mentioned at times, that you know, there's been a little bit of, you know, perhaps what we've done with it hasn't been the best all the time and hasn't been really true to, at times, to what the Bible actually says. So if it is that, if it is that complicated, why is it that important? It's, it's important because it's the culmination of, of uh, the Christian canon. And so as the culmination of the Christian canon, it incorporates all of God's dealings with his people in the past, in terms of the Old Testament, the stories, the people, the events. All of those stories are incorporated into this, this crescendo of God's activity with human beings. And it gives not just uh, an overview of the past, but then it also talks to the future and the consummation that God has planned when we'll finally be reunited with him. In uh, Jewish thinking, the promise of all promises is Revelation 21.3, um, you know, and now God will be with his people, and they will see his face. You know, Moses was granted that, that privilege, you know, in terms of seeing God's back. Uh, and so that is the promise of all promises because that takes us right back to Eden, where Adam and Eve were in the very presence of God. So the book's important because it, it culminates the story of God's dealing with us as human beings. I think, I think one. Uh, I think two, it's important because it, uh, it highlights in, in, in a way that's unique to all of the other literature, the centrality of Jesus Christ and the cross and the resurrection. And those are the pivotal moments of, of the story of salvation. And again, uh, those events emerge in a unique way. When you think of Paul's writing, you think of the Gospels, it's a very different way in which the cross and the resurrection emerge in the context of Revelation. And that uniqueness needs to be understood and appropriated and experienced as well, the way in which John brings it across to us. So I think those are offhand. Some of the reasons why, even though it's, it's a complex book, it's, you know, it's still important. And, and it assures us that God is, I think, thirdly, actively involved in our world. Uh, this world is not just, you know, careening off to disaster, but it's in the palm of God's hands. He's in control. He's in charge. You know, very interesting, very quickly, the whole book is structured on Daniel 2. 
And Daniel 2 is a prophecy that as Adventists we love, you know. And the whole book, 1 1, 1 19, 4 1, 22 6. And those are all at key literary points in the book, you know. These are, there are clear allusions to Daniel chapter 2. So the whole book structurally is built on Daniel 2. And again, that assures us God is in charge, God is sovereign. And this world has a destiny, it has a future, and that future is in the hands of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jody, if you were talking to a pastor from another church that you know, was sort of saying, why, do you people, why are you people so hung up on Revelation? Um, what, how would you answer them? Oh. Yeah, that's a, it's an interesting conversation to get in with other pastors of mm. den- different denominations, or even same denomination, really, about, <laughs> about Revelation. I'm not sure entirely what, I would, what I'd say, but the thing that I find about Revelation is that when I was 14, I decided to read the Bible from front to cover, and um, I got stuck partway through, and so I decided, Dad's like, go to Gospels and then work your way there and then come back. So that's what I did, and I, I, found, I got something out of Revelation as a 14-year-old, and I think that Revelation can be read straight through and you can still get something from it that's life-changing. But you can also go deep. You can study it forever and still learn more. I think that's one of the things that's beautiful about God is that he offers something. And really, what he offers is very simple. We sometimes try to overcomplicate it. But he's got that there that you can go deep. The more that you want to know, the more that you can keep discovering and finding. So in conversations with another pastor about why we're hung up on it, I would be saying because it gives us a fullness in our understanding of God. I'd be saying you're missing something if you haven't spent time in Revelation. And it's there for a reason and and it does give you hope. And so I'd say that's why, you know, We'd need to have, be reading, be exploring, but Revelation's not, it may, might be the end of the Bible, but it's not the end. There's so much more to discover. And another thing that I love about this book is that it links back to Genesis. I loved how you brought that out. That's so beautiful. So to un- understanding the Old Testament gives you more understanding. So if you're missing books in between, you're missing out on the full picture. So you can't just take here and there. You need to look at it as a whole. I think one of the advantages we have by taking it as we do is that so many say it's for the future, and then there's another group that says it's from the past. You know, it was fulfilled in the past or it's, it's going to be fulfilled in the future. Um, that says, in a sense, it's a dead book. I think we look at it as a live book that has a message for now um, and, and is relevant to today. I think that's just an important, for those who either see it in the past or in the future, I think that's an important difference that we have because as Jody says, it, it does impact right now. Hmm. Christine, when you are um, shopkeeping <laughs> or in your church experience, um, I'm sure you've come across those people that um, you know, are very excited about Revelation in perhaps an unhealthy way. Um, I'm sure you're happy to sell them a book that they'll want to sell somebody else, you know, give it to somebody else to set them straight. Um, how, how do you think we can... I guess, improve the conversation in the church in some of these, you know, on some of these topics? Like, do you mean how we can help people be more positive about understanding Revelation? Yeah, and if you want to re, if you want to edit me in that way, yes. <laughs> Say the question again. <laughs> <laughs> No, just, um, you know, there are books on Adventist bookshop shelves that are perhaps a little more 
sensational than this one. Than this one. Than this one, yes. That um, probably sell better at times. Based on revelations. But, yeah, on, on prophecy and on you know, whatever's about to attack us next and some of those kind of things. You know, they are actually pretty good trade in the Christian book selling trade. Um, how can we help people? You know, people that buy people that buy those books probably unlikely to buy this book because it doesn't say some of the things they would like said. Oh, see, this one here is not very hard to sell because it's not overwhelming to look at. It's <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I probably have sold more of these when it comes to revelation type well, subjects than any of the others. <laughs> <laughs> because it's got the nice cover, remember? Uh, yes, the cover, <laughs> yep. But see, now that I have read it, mm. um, I would definitely um, recommend it to a group of people more readily, and even those people that I have already sold it to that I'm doubtful about if they would understand it. Now I would be able to kind of identify what issues they might come up against and so how they could deal with that as a result. And part of it would be the great controversy again, but part mm. of it would be the kind of... Um, and quite often we have people come back into the shop and we talk about what we have read and, and then I put them on to the right person to actually talk about it more with them because usually it's more a case of them talking and me listening and then they nut it out themselves. Mm. They, they figure it out. Yeah, so, yeah, this one, I'll cool. keep on selling this one. <laughs> can, can I ask Kyle a question, which is yeah. kind of your question? Mm. Why, why do you think it is that um, if, if someone's to write a book that says four reasons why Donald Trump is the Antichrist, it would sell more than your book? And would that be a wrong thing to say? <laughs> 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 well, ignore, ignore the specific example and you, know, um, you make a comment in your introduction that um, the Lord is more concerned that the message of Revelation transforms us rather than giving us special insight into the next newspaper headline. That's the way you wrote it, so answer yourself. <laughs> ignore Bruce. <laughs> I guess, you know, even particularly within the religious world, we are driven by sensationalism, you know. And um, those in the dispensational movement, those who uh, are more conservative even within Adventism, uh, very conservative of course, are still driven toward you know, date setting and, and, and that sort of speculation within, within prophecy. And uh, I mean, that is really dangerous for your faith, you know. Um, I once made a statement in class, I said our faith is not built on dates and one of the students in particular, his faith, he's, he was just shaken when I said that. You know, our faith is not built on dates. And then and, and I began to explain and unpack what that meant. Um, I guess in terms of looking at, for, what's my chapter there? The land beast and the... <laughs> you wrote it. <laughs> the identity. The land beast? Oh, the land beast and the two witnesses. Yeah. Um, someone said to me, why didn't you point out, say, that's America, the land beast, you know? Do you not tr traditionally believe that? I said, of course I do. And I think I've got a footnote where I say uh, apostate Protestantism, you know. But I was trying to move people away from the headlines, from sensationalism, from, yes, of course I believe the land beast is America. You know, I'm, I'm orthodox in that context. But I, I wanted people to come to the text itself and see the richness, see the beauty, see the wonder of the text and be grasped and inspired by that rather than, you know, oh, yes, the land beast is America. You know, we know that. Um, and so hence, I, I didn't identify America in that chapter as the land beast. When it came to the two witnesses, again, I, I didn't want to be sensational, but I wanted to stick with the text and I wanted people to be inspired by the text and, and to hear God speak through the text. So yes, of course, you know, Donald Trump is the Antichrist would sell far more books than my book. But hopefully, 
in all humility, this book would give people a better picture in terms of Jesus and his plan for our world. Chris, you had that a... answers you, Bruce. <laughs> well, I would be interested in the Trump discussion, but maybe we can have that after. <laughs> and it could well be right. Um, <laughs> um, Chris, you were, you were toying with a question before we started. I guess um, it does kind of follow on, I guess, from, from, from what Bruce's question is, 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 is in humankind, usually when new things come up, we're very interested to know whether they're good or bad things. You know, if something new has arisen, uh, a form of organisation or political, you know, organisation or a new way of organising the economy, we're keen to know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. And so usually we turn to prophecy to see if those things are identified prophetically so that as we go into them, we don't have the human experience to kind of distill whether or not it's a morally good or bad thing. We, we hope that God has given us some advance warning. And so I think that's kind of what the Adventist church initially did. They came into this new situation. America was, you know, on the ascendancy in terms of, you know, its political organisation. And when they looked forward, they, they thought that the book of Revelation was speaking to them and saying a lack of political, uh, religious freedom is a very dangerous and a very beastly thing. You know, it's, 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 it's something that we as, as a church should rightly call our country beastly if it fails to protect religious freedoms because it was coming to a new form of political organisation as, as a new form of governance was being proposed that enabled people to practise their religion freely. I guess as we encounter the book of Revelation, can we still rightfully hope that it will tell us of what is coming and, and whether those things are morally good or bad? Can it give us a, a glimpse into the future so that we can navigate the future successfully morally? Uh, it, can, it, can it lean us that way? So in case, you know, would it be wrong for me to hope that the book of Revelation actually had content about Donald Trump and was to say, actually, you need to watch out for his, his, his combination of church and state or you need to watch out for his anti-immigration because that will have a violent result on the people. Is it wrong for me to hope that the book of Revelation would be that clear because it's it, like it is a natural human desire of mine i'm like please tell me like you know i'll do my best to think it out and kind of understand and i'll use my logic as much as i can to say well this is a new thing i don't know if it'll work or not but i, I do kind of in some ways hope that the book of revelation would be ahead of me and if there was something cataclysmic that we're about to do as an organization or a country god might have given that us in advance is that wrong to hope of Sorry, a lot of pretext in that. <laughs> Sorry. that's quite a question he's written an essay as a question <laughs> uh, Chris, that's a good question and good comments. I mean, it is a natural human inclination to want to know the future. Um, and I guess when you look at Matthew 24, for example, the disciples had that burning question as well. You know, hey, tell us, when, when will Jerusalem be destroyed? You know, you know, when will be the sign of the end of the age? Um, so, so that human tendency hasn't changed. And when we look at Jesus' outline, and in fact, the seals in particular are built on Matthew chapter 24. And I think I've got a, do I have a chart there showing the connections to Matthew 24, somewhere there? Um, so I was trying to, one of the things I was trying to say is that John has in fact built his prophetic understanding on, on Jesus Christ. And we look at Jesus' outline in Matthew 24. In fact, both Matthew 24 and 25 go together. Jesus, in his prophetic discourse, has far more uh, has far more concern for the ethical growth, the ethical transformation of his people, rather than outlining a chart of future events. And by that I mean Matthew 25 is in fact part of Matthew 24. And the ethical implications of Matthew 24 are found in Matthew 25 in terms of how we, how we live our lives. Uh, again, I think that is more important to God rather than giving us, you know, um, warning of what's coming up, what's coming up ahead. What we see in Revelation is the big picture. And I think the notion of Babylon in Revelation 17 incorporates uh, a whole range of world religions, um, ideas, uh, philosophies, uh, thought processes. I think that symbol of Babylon incorporates a whole lot of of uh, social, political, cultural ideas that are present in the world today because at its root and center, it's, it's a system that's in opposition to God. You know, it's a system that's opposed to God. So whether it's hedonism or postmodernism or materialism or any other ism we can think of, you know, even in the future, I, I believe that those things are incorporated within Babylon as, as a world system that's opposed to God and to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, on the one hand, I say, 
the future, God is more concerned about our ethical growth and our spiritual transformation. And I think, too, to respond to what you're saying, the rise of China, the rise of Russia, the rise of post-postmodernism, I think those ideas are incorporated within, within Babylon. Very cool. We're almost time to wrap things up, but um, I just want to question, one, one last question to throw at each of you, or all of you, in turn. Just um, from reading this book, what do you think the church would look like that took Revelation in this way of reading Revelation seriously? Um, what would the church, whether you're talking about the local church or perhaps the Adventist church a little more generally, whichever way you want to look at it, uh, what do you think the church, you know, if we, if we got, you know, there's kind of two things in the, in the church that I see, two extremes. There's the people that read Revelation, know exactly what it says and they want to tell you exactly what it says. And then the people, there's the people that have been told exactly what it says so many times that they don't want to hear another thing about Revelation. That's the two extremes. and It's a little bit of a caricature. Um, what can a church look like that takes Revelation seriously but isn't angry about it? All right, I'll, I'll try to put my <laughs> word into this one. I think that um, Kale talks about in here the remnant. And I think some of the things that are said in here might be challenging for some people. Have you found that? Yeah. <laughs> and I think that our church needs to be more like what the remnant really is. That's what I would say. Am I being controversial? No. no. I, I, like, I like what you're saying. Yeah. You might need to expand on that. For those of us who haven't read the book, you might... Well, you should. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so for, for the having that read the book, um, going into, into what the remnant is and talking at about what the... I guess sometimes, historically, we have been a denomination that sees ourselves as, a, as the remnant. And so basically where we go in the journey of the book is to say, well, look, it's, it's actually there's characteristics of what the remnant is. Being a, belonging to a denomination doesn't mean that you're automatically a part of a remnant. And so, yeah, it comes into the characteristics about following God having the testimony of Jesus Christ and for a church to be more focused on that than, yeah, getting into other things and debating over it. I think it comes, it's got to be a, a people that are following and so like Carl was so passionately describing before, being so in love with Christ, so focused, so, yeah, Everything is about that. They, they don't care about life because Christ is like your breath, which is amazing because I, I think I've still got a long way to go to get there. Do you know, like I find it challenging myself. Um, and I'm no expert on Revelation. I, when you put up Revelation for dummies, I'm like, yeah, that's me. Like, yes, I've studied it numerous times, but I still feel like there's so much I don't understand and, and where I need to go. But what I take comfort in is that it come, yeah, it all just comes back to Jesus. So I think as a church or as a people that following God, that's what it's really meant to all be about. And a church would look so different in many ways. Politics would fall aside. Individual pushing falls aside, which I guess is politics, but all those other things. But I don't want to be the only one to say something. Bruce was about to say something. I, um, I just loved one sentence. There it was a good sentence. It was a good sentence in this, in this book. Um, of all people, Adventists should be the most humble, for mm. God has entrusted us with a unique message, Jesus for the end time. And I'd be really keen 
to ask Hale what he actually meant by that. Because I think that's the answer to the question you're asking. Cool. But I'd like to go to the author and say, okay, what does that look like? Well, first you say nice sentence, and then... <laughs> Page 117. <laughs> it's good you're footnoting properly. <laughs> yeah, I uh, enjoyed writing the whole book, and uh, particularly the, the chapters on the remnant, I must confess. And uh, I really... I really struggled, you know, with uh, with uh, the way sometimes we see things as adventures. I must confess, you know, um, I'm convinced God has given us a message to take to the world. I'm convinced that that message is found um, solely within the person of Jesus Christ, and uh, all of our doctrines only take on meaning and substance in relation to Him. And so, um, I am convinced that if we caught a fresh glimpse of Jesus in the book of Revelation and um, understood him and saw him as the lamb, that uh, a true uh, revival could break out in our lives, you know? Um, I was sitting here while the, while the group were singing and I was thinking about my sermon and, and I was praying and, and um, I began to get a bit teary and I actually got my hanky out and I thought, man, I don't want to start crying. But I, while I was sitting here, I just, I just felt so overwhelmed, you know. I just felt so overwhelmed um, that Jesus is right there in the center. And, and he's the you know, this is the response, you know. You know, Jesus on the cross, the Lamb of God, you know, resurrected the slain Lamb. And so I really felt the Spirit just you know, just warming my heart and just speaking with me. I was, I was so humble. I'm just sharing with you. We're all fellow pilgrims, fellow travelers. Um, and I, I guess what I would love is after we have read the book in conjunction with Scripture, that honestly that Jesus would become more real and, and more powerful in each of our lives. Uh, that would be my, my greatest hope. And I guess in terms of, you know, in terms of the remnant, um, it's fascinating in the Old Testament, the people don't go around saying, we're the remnant. You know, they don't. We're the remnant. Look at us. We're the remnant. And, and it, it's so sad that that's the stance our church has taken, our church leadership has taken. We're the remnant. We're the remnant. And, and scripture, in scripture, the remnant never advocate that for themselves. You know, the remnant, are, they've just been through a horrific ordeal, national, personal catastrophe, you know, they're just clinging on to God, you know, they're just clinging on to God, and so uh, I really pray that we could take scripture and, and really apply it to our lives corporately, apply it to our lives personally, that as uh, this designation we have as remnant in the church would be, we would, we, would, we would carry it with deep, deep humility, you know, and more than anything else, it's Jesus who we need to take to a dying and a broken world. Um, and it's demonstrating Jesus within our own hearts and within our own lives. Uh, and I shared being an agent of reversal, you know. It's, it's so simple, you know. Manifesting the, and that's what Ellen White says, the manifestation of the character of God will be, you know, the greatest final thing, you know. Christ's object lessons, page 179, that famous statement we all know. So that would be my hope, Nathan. That would be my hope. Chris, how does this inform your vision for this church? I, I think a church that's well found in the book of Revelation would have a quiet confidence. Um, uh, if every action movie you watch, uh, inevitably there's some scene where the hero is being caught by the bad guys. and uh, He's being beat up and persecuted by the bad guys and then at some point this hero's demeanour changes and he takes on a cheeky smile and the, uh, the bad guys step back and they begin to wonder what's happened and then moments later you find out that the good guy has backup coming and they crash through the window and, you know, he, he, he rescues the situation. Uh, I think if the church had a, a good understanding of the book of Revelation, we would have a quiet confidence uh, that, that, that rescue is coming and that uh, we don't need to be scared of secularism or consumerism or communism, but we don't need to be scared of society, but that society and brokenness should be scared of us. And I think that sort of confidence and that sort of joy um, would be actually quite a powerful thing for this church to have, as opposed to fearing the outside world 
have this knowledge and this quiet kind of confidence that our backup is coming into the outside world should actually truly fear us. Uh, I think that would be a, a good thing for our mission. Um, yeah. cool. Christine, how does this change your life? When you get up in the morning, whatever you do then, how does you know, this kind of vision of... Um, when, when you go and read a book like this and you compare um, Revelation and its formatting and the words that are used with how they have also been used in the Old Testament and parallel those stories or the definitions of those words um, with what you've read in Revelation... It makes things clearer and it makes things bigger and so you kind of develop this hunger for more study and you also realise that you're not the end of the line that you have to go and tell other people how to do this as well um, because Jesus isn't there just for me. Jesus is there for everybody. Cool. Thank you for your thoughts, contributions, wisdom, insights, sharing. Um, ancient Words, Present Hope, available from a good book still or near you. For those who have come along this afternoon, we have some cards and there's some on the table out there or see us down the front. Um, they're not just beautiful bookmarks. They also get you $5 off if you'd like to buy the book from an Adventist book centre near you. So pick one of them. If you didn't get one of them this morning, pick it up on the way out and um, buy one for everyone you know. That's a good thing to do. Um, we appreciate you being part of today. We certainly appreciate Wontuna Church for hosting us and letting us kind of take over your church for a day. Um, thank you for other people who have visited from other churches. Uh, thank you particularly, Kale, for your ministry and for sharing and for coming and spending the weekend with us. As we mentioned last night, it's a tricky time of year, the first week of semester and all the students have just arrived and you've actually skipped a, something, another important event to come and be with us, so thank you. Bruce, as the senior pastor amongst us, could you pray for us to finish off and could you pray for Cale and his work and ministry as well? Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of Revelation. Yes, at times, difficult to understand, but the big picture is clear. You love us, you care for us, and Jesus is coming back for us. Can't wait for that. May that be soon, we pray. Thank you for Carl for his ministry here today, and thank you for his leadership on the Avondale College campus. And as the students who are under him, who are training for ministry and chaplaincy, as he impacts on their lives, as the... The team he has impacts on their lives. We pray that they will be greatly blessed. Lord, we are your people waiting for Jesus' return. We want that to happen soon. Until that day, may we be faithful. May we be the loving, caring kind of people you want us to be. Ever hopeful, waiting for Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all for coming and visiting. It's been a pleasure having you. Be blessed.